Well, a pleasant Sabbath. And you know, it's been a great blessing for me to be with you this week, and I'm glad I can be with you one more time today. Amen? Amen. And I hope to be back again sometime soon. Before we get into our message for this morning, let's have a word of prayer. So let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you for being with us this week as we've seen the prophetic messages that identify us as your last day people. And as we look one more time into the prophetic word this week, we just ask for a very special blessing from on high that you would do a powerful work in our hearts and minds this morning so that we would be prepared for your coming. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we have looked at the prophetic messages this week, we see that we are a very special people. Amen? We see that God has raised up a second Advent movement to prepare a people for the coming of Jesus. And we see that as we looked at the prophecies this week in the book of Daniel, we saw that there are four main visions and there are four main kingdoms in those visions followed by in Daniel chapter 2, the second coming. In Daniel chapter 11 and 12, the close of probation just before the second coming. And in Daniel 7 and 8, the beginning of the judgment and the cleansing of the sanctuary in 1844, which shows us that the book of Daniel identifies the period of time between 1844 and the second coming as the pinnacle of this earth's history. And that is the time that we are living in. And we saw in the book of Revelation that in the three sevens, the seven churches, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets, you have the Laodicean church that is in a terrible condition at the end of the seven churches. But at the end of the seven seals, you see that God raises up the 144,000 from his last day church. And then we see at the end of the seven trumpets that it is from the second advent movement that God prepares the 144,000. Now what we saw last night is that the Laodicean church is in a lukewarm condition that is delaying the coming of Jesus. And what we saw is that when the message comes in a direct manner to the Laodicean church, it will bring a shaking and those who stay in or remain will constitute the 144,000. And in fact, Ellen White says in Testimonies, Volume 1, page 187, those who come up to every point and stand every test and overcome, be the price what it may, have heeded the counsel of the true witness to the Laodiceans and will receive the latter rain and thus be fitted for translation which means that we as God's last day people, the Laodicean church, the church of the judgment hour, we have a message to prepare us for translation. Amen? Our purpose for existence as Seventh-day Adventists is to be translated without seeing death. But the condition for that is to receive the message from the faithful and true witness, Jesus Christ. Now, in the book of Revelation, ending in chapter 6 and in beginning in chapter 7, we get another look 
at what is going on with God's last day people. And remember, the, at the end of the seals, which, which is what we are going to look at right now, it shows that the 144,000 come from God's last day church. Well, let me read to you, starting in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. And it says, I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Now, if you recall, we identified the great earthquake as the Lisbon earthquake of 1755, and then the sun becoming black and the moon becoming as blood was the dark day of May 19, 1780. And then in verse 13 it says, And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth through untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. That was the falling of the stars, November 13, 1833. And then the very next thing you see in verses 14 through 17 of Revelation chapter 6, during the, seven, the sixth seal, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you see the men of the earth calling for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. And in verse 17 they say, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? So the question is, who shall be able to stand when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven? Do you want to stand when Jesus comes? Because we don't want to be among the group of people that are calling for the rocks and the mountains to fall on us, right? Now the answer to that question comes in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. And here we read, And after these things, so after John, the, the revelator John, sees the opening of the sixth seal, and Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven, he says, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Now notice verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to, the, to hurt the earth and to the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Now who are the servants of God that are being sealed? The answer is in verse 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So in Revelation chapter 6, this question is asked. The great day of the wrath of the Lamb has come, and the Lamb is Jesus Christ. And those who are not ready, when they see Jesus coming, they see this day as a day of wrath. And they're saying, who could possibly stand before this Lamb, Jesus Christ, who is full of wrath? And the answer is, those who are sealed with the seal of God, the 144,000. And if you look at this very carefully, at the beginning of the sixth seal, you have the Lisbon earthquake of 1755. You have the dark day of May 19, 1780. You have the falling of the stars in 1833. And we know from the rest of our study in Daniel and Revelation, after that, the judgment and the cleansing of the sanctuary began in 1844. So why has Jesus not yet come to receive his 144,000? 
because we see in this passage that the four angels are holding the four winds until the servants of God can be sealed. Now notice what Ellen White says about this in early writings, page 38. She comments on this very passage. She says, I saw four angels who had a work to do on the earth and were on their way to accomplish it. Now these are the four angels of Revelation 7. Jesus was clothed with priestly garments. He gazed in pity on the remnant. The, the remnant is us, amen? Then he raised his hands and with a voice of deep pity cried, My blood, Father, my blood, my blood, my blood. Then I saw an exceeding bright light come from God who sat upon the great white throne and was shed all about Jesus. Then I saw an angel with a commission from Jesus swine, swiftly flying to the four angels who had a work to do on the earth and waving something up and down in his hand and crying with a loud voice, Hold! 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 Until the servants of God are sealed in their foreheads. Now notice, she goes on to say, I asked my accompanying angel the meaning of what I heard and what the four angels were about to do. He said to me that it was God that restrained the powers and that he gave his angels charge over things on the earth, that the four angels had power from God to hold the four winds and that they were about to let them go. So they, these angels were about to let the four winds go because they thought the servants of God were sealed. But while their hands were loosening and the four winds were about to blow, the merciful eye of Jesus gazed on the remnant that were not sealed. And he raised his hands to the Father and pleaded with him that he had spilled his blood for them. Then another angel was commissioned to fly swiftly to the four angels and bid them hold until the servants of God were sealed with a seal of the living God in their foreheads. Notice, the four angels were about to let the four winds of strife come upon the earth so that the final events of this earth could take place. And Jesus said, wait, hold off. My people aren't ready yet. I've shed my blood for them and I love them too much to not let them be saved. Please hold off just a little bit longer until I can do my sealing work upon my people. And you know, she wrote this over a hundred years ago. Don't you think it's about time for us as God's people to be serious about our work as the remnant, Seventh-day Adventists, whom God has given a message for this time to prepare us for translation. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is moving upon His world church one more time to prepare us to receive the seal of God in our foreheads. It is too late in earth's history to be playing games with the devil anymore. Amen? It is time for us to give our lives to Jesus completely. And I want to look this morning at the characteristics of the 144,000 that are described in Revelation chapter 14 verses 1 through 5, because those are the people who will receive the seal of God in their foreheads, and when they do, the final strife upon this earth will be released through the four winds. So, let's turn to Revelation chapter 14, 
starting in verse 1. Here we read, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. There is coming a time, a day that all of us want to be part of, where the 144,000, that group of people that come from the Laodicean church, the Second Advent church, they will stand on Mount Zion with the Lamb, with Jesus Christ. Now notice, there is something very special about this group of people. They have in their foreheads the name of the Lamb's Father. You know what that means? That means that they have been sealed in their foreheads. You see, it's not going to be some indefinite time into the future that the seal of God will be placed on His last day people. There will be a day, I believe very soon, where God will, will have a people that He has sealed in their foreheads. And He wants each one of us here today to receive that seal of God. He wants us to stand on Mount Zion with the Lamb, with the Father's name in their foreheads. Now, do you know what it means to have the Father's name in your forehead? What is the Father's name? And what does the Father's name represent? You know, when you think of someone's name, someone's name is, is associated with their character. And the Father's name is His character. It represents His character. And let me just show you one Bible verse. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, which describes the character of God's name. Isaiah 57, verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. The Father's name is holy. And the 144,000 will have the name of the Lamb's Father in their forehead because they will be holy as God is holy. Because they will have had the experience of the righteousness of Christ in their lives. And when they have that experience, they will receive the seal of God in their foreheads. So we are looking forward to the day when the 144,000, that group of people that come from the Laodicean church, God's last day church, the second advent movement, they will stand on Mount Zion with the Lamb. Now as we continue, verses 2 and 3 show, I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. You know, this song, it's a new song which has not been sung before. Now, when you sing a song, you know, when authors write a song, they write a song to describe an experience that they pass through. And the 144,000 are going to sing a new song 
a song that has never been sung before because they will have passed through an experience that no one else has passed through before. And I want to be among that number that sings that song. Amen? I want to be able to sing the song that no man can sing but the 144,000. Now, verses 4 and 5 describe very carefully the characteristics of this group of people and why they have the privilege on stand, of standing on Mount Zion with the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Do you want to be among that group of people that stand with Jesus on Mount Zion? Amen. Amen. Do you want, so do you want to know what the characteristics are that are required? Amen. Let's look at what the Bible says. In verse 4 it says, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now, when it says these are they which were not defiled with women, this is speaking in a spiritual sense. And of course, obviously it has a literal application. I hope all of you here understand the importance of purity in your life. Amen? There is no excuse for deviating from the clear word of Scripture on what purity is. And I don't think I need to be any more clear than that. But God's last day people will be a pure people. But not only that, in a spiritual sense, it says these are they which are not defiled with women. Now, do you remember that in the book of Revelation, there is a description of two types of women in this book? In Revelation chapter 12, you have a woman that is clothed fully clothed with a white garment. She is a modestly dressed woman representing God's pure church. And then you have another woman in Revelation 17 who is all decked out with the jewelry of this world and her name is Babylon in Revelation 17 verse 5 and she is the mother of harlots which tells us that not only is there the mother church Babylon but she has her daughter churches the harlots and in Revelation chapter 14 verse 4 we see that the 144,000 are not defiled with Babylon the mother and her harlot daughters the other fallen churches these are spiritually pure people they have not been defiled by the false teachings of the end-time churches that will deceive the whole world. And we talked about that on Wednesday night from Revelation 13 and 17. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now I like this very next phrase. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. How many of you want to follow Jesus, the Lamb, wherever He goes when you get to heaven? Do you realize that the 144,000 will get to have that privilege of following the Lamb whithersoever He goeth throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity? What an awesome privilege! We of all of the people who have ever lived on this earth have the potential to be among the 144,000 that will follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. So do you want to know how to follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth? 
You know, if you want to follow him in heaven, wherever he goes, the way to start is by following Jesus wherever he leads you here on this earth. And that might mean going to some places that you don't particularly care to go. Lord, not this again. Don't you know that this person gets on my nerves? Why do you want me to be the one that witnesses to them? Oh, Lord, no. Surely you don't want me to keep staying at this job. Don't you know that this job just drives me crazy? Please give me a different job. I don't want to be at this job where you want me to witness to all the people that are here. Please take me somewhere else. No, Lord. No. Here on this earth, if we want to be following the Lamb, whithersoever He goeth, we need to learn to follow the Lamb wherever He takes us here on this earth. Amen? And that goes back to what we talked about last night in the message to Laodicea. Jesus says to Laodicea, I counsel of you to buy of me gold tried in the fire because gold that is tried in the fire has the impurities removed. And Jesus knows that if we are going to stand with him on Mount Zion, he must allow us to pass through the trials of life so that the impurities can be removed. But you know, the reward that waits us for passing through whatever pathway he takes is, is that when we get to heaven, we can have the privilege of following Him wherever He goes. What a privilege. What a Savior that would promise us to follow Him wherever He goes. And you know, if we're going to follow Jesus wherever He goes, the Lamb, we need to learn how to behold Him. Amen? So it makes sense in John chapter 1, verse 29 that John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You know, when you behold Jesus, when you behold the Lamb on the cross, He will help you to have victory over sin in your life. It's not just forgiveness for sin. Yes, when you behold the Lamb, He gives you forgiveness for sin. But as you continue to behold the Lamb of God, He not only forgives the sins from your past, but as you continue to behold Him, He takes you through the pathways of life to allow you to pass through experiences so that the rest of the sins in your life will be taken away and you will have victory over those sins as well. Amen? You cannot help but to have victory over sin in your life when you behold the Lamb of God. And as you behold the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world, you will follow Him wherever He goes here on this earth. And then when you get to heaven, you will continue to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. I want to be a person like that. Amen? And for those of you who wonder why, why do I keep falling into the same sin, why do I keep getting impatient? Why do I keep getting frustrated? Why do I keep doing the things that I know I should not be doing? It just might be, and in fact it probably is, that you haven't learned to keep your eye on the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Learn to look to Jesus through all the trials of life. And the 144,000, they will follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. Continuing on in verse 4. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. 
Now, do you know what the concept is of a first fruit? This is harvest language. And in the Jewish Hebrew mind, they understand you plant a crop and you wait for it to grow and eventually that harvest will ripen and the sign that the harvest is just about ready to be harvested is when you have the first fruits that ripen first. And when those first fruits ripen, you harvest them. And when you're done harvesting the first fruits, the rest of the harvest is ready as well. So notice what Mark chapter 4, verses 28 and 29 tell us. Mark chapter 4, verses 28 and 29 say, For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, or when it is ripe, that's the marginal reading, but when the fruit is ripe, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. So you know what this tells us in Revelation 14. The 144,000 are the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. They represent the ripening of the harvest. And when the harvest is ripe, Scripture tells us in Mark 4, immediately God puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And if you don't believe me, go to Revelation 14, verse 14. And here in verses 14 and 15 it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And notice verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The 144,000 are ready. You can harvest God's people. They are the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now, have you wondered how this harvest develops? You know, when you plant a harvest, what do you have to do to plant a crop? You have to plant a seed, right? Well, what was the seed that was planted to develop this harvest known as the 144,000? Do you know what the seed was that was planted? Let's go to John chapter 12, and we're going to see the seed that was planted. John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24. John chapter 20, 12, verses 23 and 24. Here we read, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, what was the hour that Jesus was glorified? This was when He died on the cross. And He specifically explains this in verse 24. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Here's what Jesus is saying. Look. In order for my life to bring salvation and to bring fruit, to bear fruit, to bring a harvest, I must die. 
I must be the seed that falls into the ground and dies like a corn of wheat. But when that happens, just like a corn of wheat will produce a plant that will have many kernels of corn that are just like the seed that was planted, so I will die and through my death a group of people will be produced that are just like me. Just as a corn of wheat is planted in the ground and produces corn that is identical to the seed that was planted, so I will die and much fruit will be produced in those who accept my sacrifice and also learn to live my life so that they will be just like me. And the 144,000 are the first fruits. They are demonstrating what it means to be right fruit that demonstrate the character of Christ who was that seed planted in the ground. You know, Jesus was the seed and, his, and as His seed bears fruit, His people will be just like Him. And Revelation 14 shows us exactly how. And before I mention that, you know, Jesus died. He was the seed that died. That's why Scripture says, I am crucified with Christ. If we want to live the life of Christ, if we want to have His power, if we want to be a demonstration of His life on this earth, just as Jesus died on the cross as the corn of seed, of wheat that was planted in the ground and died, so we must be crucified with Christ so that we can bear fruit the way Jesus did. Now notice Revelation verse, chapter 14, verse 5. This describes in greater detail the 144,000 which follow the Lamb wherever He goes. This describes in greater detail those who are the, who are the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Notice verse 5. It says, And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. The 144,000 are described as having no guile in their mouth. That means they have no deceit. That means that they tell the truth. That means that their life is a demonstration of truthfulness all the time. They aren't cutting little corners and telling little white lies and stilling a little bit here and a little bit there. They are always truthful, always faithful, because that's how Jesus was. In their mouth was found no guile. Now you know what's fascinating? In the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, a very poignant description is given of Jesus Christ. And this is found in verses 20 through 22. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Now, what's Peter saying here? He's saying, look, when you mess up, you make a mistake, and somebody corrects you for it, and you say, you know what, you're right, I messed up. Thank you for correcting me. For that's, that's, I mean, that's just the way you're supposed to be. But you know what, people have gotten so perverse in this world, they mess up, someone says, hey, you messed up, and they say, hey, don't tell me that. I messed up, but whatever. Don't tell me, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. No, the Scripture says, look, that's just, 
the acceptable thing. When you mess up and you receive punishment for messing up, you're supposed to take that patiently. But the Christian, what you are supposed to do is that when you do the right thing and you're still patient about it, that is what is acceptable with God. So you do the right thing. You do everything that God asks you to do and you still get blamed for being right and you take it patiently. That's what's acceptable with God. And then verse 21 explains this in greater detail. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. What did Jesus do wrong? Jesus did nothing wrong. He didn't deserve to die on the cross. He didn't deserve to be beaten. But that's what happened to Him, and yet He took it patiently. And He has left us an example that we should follow His steps. Now notice verse 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Now the 144,000 in Revelation 14, it says, in their mouth was found no guile. That's just like Jesus. Jesus had no guile found in His mouth when He came to the greatest crisis in His life here on this earth. And the 144,000 will become so close to Jesus, they will learn to follow the Lamb so well that they will have no guile in their mouth in the greatest crises of their life, just like Jesus. And notice, the last half of verse 5 says, For they are without fault before the throne of God. You know, there's another passage in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, describing Jesus. And let me get the right verse here. I think I, I was in the wrong chapter, no wonder. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says, Of Christ, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God. Now notice where it says He offered Himself without spot to God. If you have a marginal reading in the King James, it says who offered Himself without fault to God. And in the Greek, this word in Hebrews 9.14 and in Revelation 14.5, it's the same Greek word, which is amomos, which means to be without blemish, to be without fault, or to be without spot. And so Jesus was, with, was without fault. And the 144,000 are described as being without fault before the throne of God. Again, the 144,000 are just like Jesus. And you know, in Jude chapter 24 it says, Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the throne with exceeding joy. That word faultless in Jude 24 also is the very same Greek word. So the 144,000, they are without fault before the throne of God. Jesus offered Himself without fault to God. And He promises in Jude 24 to keep us from falling or to keep us from sinning so that we can be without fault before the throne of God. Now as I close here, let me show you something to you here that is very significant. The 144,000 
are God's last day people who come from the Laodicean Judgment Hour Church, the church that has been in a terrible condition. Yet the 144,000, they repent from that lukewarm state. They come from God's last day church, which is the second Advent movement. And they are prepared by the three angels' messages in verses 6 through 12 so that they can stand on Mount Zion with the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And when it's all said and done, they have the characteristics of Jesus as well. They are without fault and they have no guile just like Jesus. Now, do you remember what I said when we did the overview of the book of Revelation? What's the purpose of the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation, its very title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And as I've studied this book, do you know where Jesus Christ is most completely revealed in the book of Revelation? Jesus Christ is revealed most completely in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, when you see the 144,000 who are God's last day people who look just like Jesus. They are without fault. They have no guile in their mouth. And these are the group of people that God has empowered to give a message known as the loud cry that lightens the earth with its glory, that gives a final revelation of Jesus Christ to the world. So did you realize that your purpose in, in being a Seventh-day Adventist in God's last day church is to be a revelation of Jesus Christ to the world? To be a revelation of what it means to have no guile, to be without fault, to always follow Jesus wherever He takes you. That is what it means to be a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is the character that God's last day people will have just before He comes. And you know, as we have looked at these prophecies, and as we have looked at this message in these prophecies throughout Daniel and Revelation, I hope it's become very clear to you that we have a very special message and a very special work at this time in earth's history. And as you recall, we read from testimonies to ministers that those who eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God, when they bring forth truth from the books of Daniel and Revelation, they will start into action forces that cannot be repressed. And I believe that as we see the character that God wants us to develop, and as we realize we are to be the 144,000 who receive the seal of God on our foreheads so that we can be like Jesus and take the last message to this world, this will start into action forces that cannot be repressed so that Jesus can come in the clouds of heaven. It is time for us to wake up from our Laodicean state. Amen? It is time for us to think of Jesus all the time as first, last, and best, as our Savior, as our Redeemer, and as our coming King. And there may be some of you here today, you've been listening to these messages, and you realize that God has raised up a special church with a special message for this time. And yet you have not yet made a final decision to become baptized into 
God's last day remnant church that He will use to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. And you say, I've waited long enough. Today is the day that I will make my stand with Jesus to become baptized into this church. If that is your decision, I would invite you to come forward at this time. You want to become a baptized member of God's last day church, the church that will help to usher in the second coming through the grace of Christ. And you want to give your heart to Jesus completely today. And you know, you're doing this for Jesus. You're not doing it for anybody else. It's because you love Him and you want to serve Him and you want to be with Him throughout eternity. Is there one, is there any, who would want to give their life to Jesus today? And as the pastor comes up and he's standing here, I would invite you to come up and we're going to have a special prayer if, if you would so desire to become part of this last day church. While I'm still making that appeal, and if there's anyone who would like to come forward. If, while I'm still making that appeal, I would like to add to that appeal. There are some of you here, and praise the Lord, brother. Amen. There are some of you here today who have been coming to the meetings this week. And you are a Seventh-day Adventist. But as you've seen these messages, you see that you have been in a condition that is very lukewarm. Rather than being a demonstration of Christ's character to the world, you have fit in quite well with this world. In fact, people at work may not even know that you're a Christian because you fit in so well. And your family members wonder, when are you going to start being like Jesus? We go to church, but we're not living the, the truths of Scripture. And you have been convicted. You know, God is raising up a last day people to be like Jesus. And I want help from Jesus. I want to learn how to look at Him day by day as the author and finisher of my faith to run, run the race that He has set before me and to behold the Lamb of God. I want to be a victorious Seventh-day Adventist who will stand with the Lamb on Mount Zion. And I need help today. I would invite you to come forward as well as we have a special season of prayer. You want to be among that last day group of people and you want to commit this day to Jesus to stand with Him on Mount Zion someday soon. And you want to be among that special group. So if you want to be among that number and you want to have victory over besetting sins in your life, I would invite you to come forward at this time as well. And this is only for Jesus. It's for no one else. You're not worried about what anybody else is thinking. This is just for Jesus because you love Him. You're beholding Him. You see Him on the cross dying for you and you say, I need victory. I have issues in my life that need, to be, that need victory to be gained over. Jesus, I, want, I lay these on the altar. Give me victory today. So I invite you to come at this time as well. And I praise the Lord to see the work that He has done here in this church. These messages have been for me. When I preach a sermon, it's for me as much as anybody else. And I know that the Lord has a special purpose for Princess Town, this church here. Amen? Amen. These messages that we've heard this week, 
It's not just to go in one ear and out the other. Amen? It's to help us become more like Jesus so that we can pre be prepared for His coming. Amen? So I will give just a brief moment more of time for those of you who are coming forward. And then we are going to have a special prayer. And I praise the Lord for you, brother. You've come forward. You want to be baptized into this church. You want to be part of God's last day people who will be among those who stand with the Lamb on Mount Zion. And there is no better moment in your life than that moment when you choose to follow Jesus all the way. And I pray that you will continue to follow Him. And for the rest of us who are rededicating our lives, from this day forward, this is a special day as well. We are going to look at Jesus, the Lamb of God, and follow Him wherever He takes us. Amen? That is the commitment we are making today. So I praise the Lord for what He has done in this church this week. And at this time, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for what you are doing here on this earth. And we thank you for Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, help us look to Jesus every day through the trials of life so that we will behold Jesus and have victory over the sins that so easily beset us so that we will rightly represent the character of Christ to this world, so that someday soon it can be said that we are without fault before the throne of God, that there is no guile in our mouth, that we have learned to trust in Jesus who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the throne of God. And so, Lord, I pray for each one who has chosen to rededicate their experience to the Lord, that they will be firm and faithful in their commitment and that you will work in this church in a powerful way to bring the light of the three angels' messages to this community as you take this message all over the world. And Lord, I also thank you for my brother who has come forward to become baptized into your remnant church. Lord, may you protect him. May you cover him and just shower him with your love, mercy, and grace. And may he feel your love and mercy and power in a way that he never has before. And may he have the experience of from this day forward taking this message to a lost and dying world to prepare the world for your soon coming. And Lord, may each one of us here be found faithful when you come so that when you come in the clouds of heaven, we won't be crying for the rocks and the mountains to fall on us, but we will be crying, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. And we pray that that day will be very soon. This is my prayer in the most wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.